Go ahead and turn it up to, open up to Acts 16. Actually, Acts 17, sorry. We completed Acts 16 last week. We are going verse by verse through the book of Acts. And actually, strangely enough, I think the Lord knew my voice was going to be gone today. Well, he knows all things, but I had gotten done studying for this before I lost my voice. And it was it's kind of a more pointed, shorter sermon. Um, so, must have knew ahead of time that my voice was... Do you guys have anything in the sound that can fix a squeaky voice? I know you guys are amazing, but probably not. <laughs> so you guys can just make fun of me for forever. All right. Um, so I want to start out just by sharing of my my dread of having to give impromptu speeches or like unplanned for talks to people. Anyone ever have to do anything like that? And can you relate to me? Actually, as great as my pastor was, the former pastor of the church, as much as I loved him, I absolutely hated that he would ask me last second to teach or, or to share like at a devotional or to, he had this bad habit of like, hey, Chris, would you like to share tomorrow morning? Or would you like to, like even maybe even the morning of, hey, you want to share tonight at church? And it would drive me so crazy because I am all about prepping and being prepared and I'm just like, you know this about me, man. And I'm like, why do you do this to me now? In the process, he was just trying to teach me to rely on the Lord because we're to be ready in season and out of season. So sometimes that involves the prep um, that you have lots of time for. And sometimes it's just that little bit, you know, you just got the big part of it's the Holy Spirit's going to lead you and kind of what to say when you need to say it. But all that does, all that to say is that it, it drives me crazy. I'm somebody that likes to prep um, in what I'm going to say, because even though there's like nervousness that comes with public speaking that I have. Um, there's some confidence that I can have in knowing at least ahead of time what I want to say and then trusting the Lord with that, that he's going to kind of do the rest. So let me ask you this. How many of you guys get nervous in telling other people about Jesus or sharing the good news with other people? Okay. And that, that answer can vary because there's different factors there. Um, it can depend on if you're gifted as an evangelist, that's actually a specific gift God gifts some people in the Bible talks about. And you probably know some people that, man, it's just like easy for them to share Jesus with people. Or it looks a lot easier than it is for you. Um, it can depend on who you're talking to. I mean, whether it's family or friends or somebody you know really well or you don't know really well. It can be. It can depend on how long you've been a Christian, how many times you've gotten to share Jesus before. You know, so all those things can be factors. But at some time or another, we've all probably experienced being nervous in sharing Jesus with people because part of it's spiritual, all right? Because you better believe that the last thing the enemy wants you to do is to tell people how they can be set free and forgiven of their sin and find real, true life and the peace and the joy in the hope that comes with it in Jesus Christ. He does not want anyone to know that, just like he didn't want us to know it. So there's going to be spiritual discouragement in sharing the Lord with other people. And similar to what I shared at the beginning, anytime we share Jesus with people to some degree or another, it usually feels like an impromptu conversation, right? There's a lot of unknowns. What could happen? What might they say? How do I respond? You know, things that we just can't know going into it that can be discouraging. But as such, one of the ways that we can combat that anxiety is to have a plan and how we're going to share the good news with people, what we're going to say before we ever get to that place of having to do it. 
And you may still experience some nervousness because, like I said, of the unknowns and of the spiritual battle. But having said that, at least if you have a plan of attack, then you can have some confidence in knowing, like, these are things that I want to make sure to say. And then you can trust the Lord with the rest of it to kind of do that work that he has to do in order for people to pay attention and understand and and see their need for him to be their savior. Amen? And the reason I'm pointing this out is because in today's section of scripture, what we're going to see, she's going to go through four verses, and we're going to see another example of Paul sharing the gospel with people. But in it, we're going to see three principles that would do us well to pay attention to because in some way or another, these three things are what we should do when we're sharing the good news with people. And they're really simple things. I think we can complicate it like everything else in our walk with the Lord. And the Lord would want us want us to keep it simple so they're worthy to pay attention to. So before we get into the text, we left off with Paul and his crew. If you remember, they were in Philippi. A bunch of people got saved. Crazy, miraculous things. They get thrown in jail for their faith. And, and God sets them free. But they end up just staying there and, and God using that to save the jailer and his family. And they eventually get set free because they were mistreated as Roman citizens. And on their way out of town, they're encouraging all the new believers um, before they move on in their missionary journey. So that's where we're going to pick it up today. Let me pray one more time and then we'll get into these four verses. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, just pray for the grace to uh, be able to share what it is you want to say to everyone today confident lord you have a specific word for each of us that we need to hear and and apply in our own lives we know your word doesn't return void and it's you're always uh, as it says it's active and in living you're always working through it in some way or another so we want to be those that are attentive to what that work is you're trying to speak into us because we know there's always blessing that comes with living your word out in our lives and so we want to hear it and not fool ourselves into just automatically assuming we, we're living it because we've heard it. But we want to hear it, take it in, hear how you want us to apply it to our lives and leave this place living it, Lord. Especially with what we're talking about today because we know that the main mission you've given us, the main reason why we're here still, is to share this glorious news that we've believed in and that has saved us with everyone in this world. So that everyone can hear and have that same choice or that same option to believe in you as your Lord and Savior and be brought into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So this is Acts 17. I'm going to read the first four verses and then we'll we'll exposit or we'll go through them. It says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis in Apollonia, They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few, which means a lot, of the leading women. <laughs> so, it's thought at this point in the journey, this crew consists of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. 
Um, if you remember Luke, the author of Acts, he joined them in the last chapter, but he's not referring to them as we anymore. So at some point he, he probably left. And they passed through some smaller cities on the way to this larger port city, Thessalonica, which is about 100 miles from Philippi, Philippi, so about a three-day journey in in walking time. Paul still, if you guys remember, wanting to focus his efforts on larger cities in the hopes of that, well, you go to a larger city, more people can get saved, and they can go to the smaller cities around. The gospel can spread faster. In that city, Thessalonica should sound somewhat familiar because what books or letters to that church that gets planted as a result of this journey? That's right. First and second Thessalonians was written to the church that gets planted as a result of this missionary journey. And as was Paul's custom, he goes to the synagogue first, as we see him so often do, to preach first to the people that should have, he knew that they were seeking God and that they had some understanding of his word. So he figured this is the best place to start in, in kind of explaining to these people what they should already understand and that Jesus was this Messiah in the Old Testament that they were waiting for. I would imagine that if Paul were alive today and he was in the same habit of wanting to go to talk to people that have some understanding of God, he might hit places like maybe like you go to Egypt and you go to the Coptic church, um, which is like an Orthodox, an Orthodox church that has some understanding of God. They have some understanding of God's word, but they don't understand the true gospel. And so he's there or less to solidify for them. This is what scripture actually says, and this is what it means to have a relationship with God. So he goes there. Another reason is that Paul would have had a guaranteed audience at the synagogues. If you guys are familiar with scripture, you know that Paul was a, a Jewish teacher. He was a rabbi. He was a respected Jewish teacher as a Pharisee, one of the higher up religious leaders. And so as was the custom in this day, if there was a visiting rabbi, that came to town, came to the synagogue, basically they would give him an opportunity to share from the word with everyone. So Paul, being a Pharisee, being a respected religious teacher, most certainly would have been invited, hey, do you have something to share from the scriptures with us, right? And so he takes advantage of this opportunity for a period of three weeks, as verse 2 says, to do that very thing. And I'm going to spend the rest of our time today looking at some of the key things that he does in sharing the good news with these people. Because as I pointed out at the very beginning, these things are very applicable to us. And ultimately, the three principles I'm going to point out to you are what leads to the success we see in verse 4 of many people getting saved. And, you know, just to add to that, there's obviously lots of programs. There's lots of videos. There's lots of resources to help us in sharing the good news with people. But I'm going to make a, a claim here in that in some way or another, everything that they share, which some, a lot of those things are very good, they're wrapped up in these three principles to some degree or another. These three prim- principles are, are basically, um, in a nutshell, the fundamental things we need to remember when we're sharing the good news with people, all right? The first thing Paul does in sharing the good news, write this down if you're a note taker and I wish I encourage you to be. Number one, he uses the word of God. It says in verse two, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, okay? Not from his personal opinion, but from what God's word 
said. The Greek word for reasoned here is also the root of our English word dialogue. So he was dialoguing or having a conversation with the people about the word of God. So he's explaining what God's word says and what it means. And there's questions being asked and he's giving answers all centered around the word of God and what God had to say through it. And as I've said before, this is the only book that you can 100% know that every single bit of it is truth. Okay? There's no question with that. All right? This is all truth since God himself is the author of it. There's a lot of sources out there that are full of fake news right now. This is not one of them. Okay? This is the one that we can be sure has no fake news in it. And you never need like to feel like, you've heard me say this before, that you need to convince somebody of this is truth. All right? Because surely there's going to be people out there, there are people out there that disagree with that statement, that this isn't all truth. And even some Christians that would say that, like it's outdated or whatnot. But here's the thing, whether they agree with that or not, they're the ones in the wrong. It doesn't change the fact that it's all truth. And here's the thing, even though people are trying to cancel a lot of truth right now, this is one thing you cannot cancel. Because as it says in First Peter one twenty five, the word of the Lord will endure Forever, all right? Forever. Because God's going to see to it. Whether people want to believe it or not, it's truth. And that's important, okay? And we as God's people haven't been commissioned to convince people it's truth. We've been commissioned to basically simply give them the truth so that they can know it and they can respond to it, all right? And here's the thing. One way or another, this book always proves itself to be true. It always proves itself to be the most logical and reasonable against science or anything else, all right? Jesus tells us in John 8, 31 through 32, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will, number one, know the truth, And number two, the truth will set you free, or that's the result of knowing the truth, setting free. Now, the idea of abiding is, in a sense, being grounded in the word. Like, we've talked about abiding in Christ, how we want to stay connected, we want to stay close, that you don't accidentally do that yourself. It's the same with the word. We have to stay grounded in this. We're not looking to the world to give us the answers we we seek or the counsel, or the wisdom. We're looking for God through his word that he's given us to give us everything we're looking for and answer all our questions, right? So we abide in it, and that shows we're truly disciples of God to abide in what he's told us, okay? And what it does is when you know this, it sets you free. Sets you free of what? Sets you free of sin, right? And the lies and the deceptions of the enemy that lead to sin And the negative consequences you experience from sin. Sin being disobeying what God says in his word. That's ultimately what separates us from God before we know him. Sin, doing what's wrong, doing what's evil, which God knows better than anyone else because he's thought up you. He thought up this whole entire world. The word of God, number one, sets you free from death or separation from God in saving you from sin when you hear the good news, and believe in Jesus. Amen? And Romans ten seventeen tells us that. It says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. 
In some way or another, when you heard the good news, it was what God's word said about that good news. And you heard it and you believed, you understood that you were a sinner, that you're not perfect and that you saw this pattern in your life of that sin being destructive. And you realized that, well, I need to be forgiven of this. And I should go to the person that kind of made me and thought everything up. And and obviously he can probably help me better than anyone else. So I need to be forgiven of my sin, which comes through believing in his son that paid the price for it. And then I can be made right with him and he can come into my life and he can lead me into what he wants. And, and fix the problems in my life. And that's the second thing the word of God does. It sets you free from sin itself or it reveals the specific sin in your life. And then you can stop doing it, all right? As Jesus was praying to God the Father for his disciples the night before he died on the cross, he said in John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So the idea of sanctifying, because that's a big word we don't use all the time, was in the Old Testament, they'd have all of these things they would use as a part of worshiping God. And those things had to be set apart or made holy so that they could be used in the worship of God. They could be found like worthy. And they had all these procedures to do that to make sure that these utensils and everything, the sacrifices, everything was made holy enough to be in God's presence. Well, through the faith in Jesus, you positionally have already been made right with God. Amen. Your sins have been paid for in full, all of them. And so as, as far as God sees you right now, even though you're not up with God in, in perfect, like the Bible says, when we're with him, we'll be like him. But even though you're a work in progress, as far as God's concerned, he sees you through the lens, just like a filter on Instagram or something. He sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ. And that's the way we should be looking at each other too, right? Because, yeah, we, we see the visible sin that's still very much there that's being worked out of us. But in God's eyes, you're as perfect as you could ever be. It's a done deal. He knows that's how you're going to end up. That's how he sees you now. So that's how we see each other, okay? Now, but the second part of that is you are very much a work in progress, okay? Like practically on the outside. The way I like to look at it is it's like it's like your car. On the inside, it's all super clean and stuff. I just had my boys clean my car a couple of weeks ago. And they, they, uh, they did a great job on the inside. They vacuumed everything out. It was totally clean. And I don't know if it was because it was a black car and it was overcast or what, but I came out there and there's just like, like all these dirt spots, like all over it, like where they just completely, they just smeared it or wiped it. And, and I'm just like, what? I'm just, well, all I said was, I'm like, can you guys come outside? Do you think that's a quality job of washing a car? <laughs> but all that to say is that's kind of like us, like on the inside, we're, we're totally clean and spotless, but on the outside, there's still some filth there that needs to be cleaned up. And the way God cleans that up is through his Holy Spirit first teaching us the word of God as we read to hear about it. And then he helps us know when and how to apply the word of God in our lives. Jesus tells us in John fourteen twenty six, but when the father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So God has given you a 24-7 tutor the moment you placed your faith in Jesus. He sanctified you so that you're set apart for him. Paul calls it in Romans 12, 1, a living sacrifice. You're just like the sacrifices that they used to use 
in worship of God, but you're alive. You're not dead. And so, like he says, it, the only reasonable thing is to give your whole life to God so you can be used the way you're intended as an act of worship to him. But you're set apart for God so the whole God can come and dwell inside of you. His spirit comes inside of you. You're referred to as the temple of God. And that spirit of God is constantly there to help you know what to do and what not to do, to help you understand the word of God. Even as I'm teaching it to you, even as you're reading it at home, God's spirit is the one that is telling you, this is how this applies to you. This is what it means. And then when you're in a situation where you need it, he'll bring it to remembrance. Remember, you read this. Remember, you know this. You're, you, you're learning so much more in God's word whenever you're in it, even more than you could ever imagine you're learning because the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to bring it to remembrance when you need it. And that's the way he's cleaning you up on the outside. So like Paul, the word of God has to be the foundation of everything we're telling people about Jesus. If you want them to believe in the truth and set, if you want to see them believe in the truth and set free from the lies of the enemy, it has to be the center of everything that we're preaching. Amen. So that's the first thing. Make sure in sharing the good news to anyone, you're using the word of God to do that. That doesn't necessarily mean that you bust out a Bible and start sharing like verse references and stuff. It can mean that, but for somebody that doesn't know anything about it, that only might confuse them. It just means that you are sharing and, and it doesn't have to be exactly right as long as it's not, it's contextually right. But in your words, what you have learned from God with them so that God can use it to reveal himself to them and set them free. Amen? All right, second thing Paul does in sharing the good news with people is that he kept the word of God simple. All right? That's the second thing. Keep the word of God simple. Verse three says that Paul was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. The word used there for explaining in the Greek means opening. So in a sense, Paul was opening up the word of God so that they could understand their need for Jesus to die for their sins and so that for, so they could be made right and reconciled with him. The way I like to think of it is like, you ever uh, get a kid for, or a, a gift for your kid? Well, if you have kids, when they're young and they can't open it for themselves and maybe you're at that stage where you're letting them open it, but it just ain't going anywhere. And so you're just like so excited and you're just like, let me do it for you and I'll open it up so that they can look inside and they can see what it is and get super stoked. That's kind of what you're doing with the word of God for somebody that doesn't understand it. You've got the greatest gift you could ever give them in the gift of salvation. You know that because you're saved, but you are like, in a sense, opening it up for them because they just aren't really capable of opening it themselves because they're not saved yet. And so you're opening it up so they can just kind of see that gift for what it is, all right? But you want to do that in the simplest way possible. And I think sometimes we can worry ourselves of the because of the exact opposite. We think that, well, I'm not educated enough to share the good news with somebody or I haven't been a Christian long enough or I don't understand everything about the Bible yet. So therefore, I'm disqualified in doing it. But here's the thing. Really sharing the goal of the gospel with people isn't to make it complicated. But rather to keep it as simple as possible. So that you can just simply explain to them their need for Jesus to save them. All right. And Paul tells us this um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5. When he first came to visit the Corinthians. When he first came, when they were unbelievers. He says... 
When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relayed, relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Can anyone relate to feeling like that when you're sharing the, the good news with people? It, 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 it's like, man, I'm just like timid and I'm fearful and I don't feel like I have the right words to say. And you're in good company because that's what Paul said. Yeah, that's how I was. He goes on in that passage to talk about speaking with wisdom to mature believers. But you're talking, you got to remember, you're talking to somebody that knows nothing. So you don't need to know all of the deepest theological stuff to share the good news with them. If, if, if you feel all you understand about the gospel is the basics, then sweet. You are very qualified to share it with people because after all, isn't that what you're, why you're saved? I mean, you, if you know enough to be saved, raise your hand if you're saved in here. And this isn't like if you're not saved, I'm not trying to call you out, but Okay, now raise your hand if you feel like you could tell somebody why you're saved. There you go. That's all it took to save you. So it's not like for that next person, oh yeah, well, that's this is like, you know, save plus. So they got to know more. No, if you know enough to be saved, you've got everything you need to tell somebody so that they can receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, all right? So we got to get out of that thinking of thinking that somehow we need to know more than we really do, all right? And in all reality, as I kind of mentioned before, you know a lot more than you think you do. If you're somebody that's regularly in the word, you're in church, you're reading the word, you're hanging out with other Christians, you're talking about the word, you're learning things that you don't even know you're learning so that the Holy Spirit will bring them to remembrance, help you remember them when you actually need them. I remember being an early Christian and that very same thing happened to me, like just like like, well, I know that's not right, or I know that's right, or I, yeah, this, this, this is something I've read somewhere. I don't know where it is, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's implanting the Word of God in you so that you can live that abundant life that God intends for you, right? And the Holy Spirit, um, oh, and the other thing I would say too is, um, just because somebody chooses not to believe in Jesus that you've shared the good news with, don't let that somehow become an indication that somehow you failed to prove to them the truth. Remember what I said in the very beginning. It'd be a mistake to base your whether you're being successful or not in sharing Jesus with people on visible results. Because again, your job is just to share it with them. And even if they deny it, that doesn't make it any less true. I mean, you've heard me say before that gospel demands a response. All right. When somebody hears the good news, they have one of two options. They can believe it, receive it, or they deny it. There's no middle ground with God. If you're choosing to like take that kind of stance of like, well, I'll wait and see, then you've already denied it. It's that simple. But that's not on you. That's on them. They have to make that personal choice. And it didn't mean that you didn't convince them of the truth. It just meant that they chose not to believe it. And that's not on you. So don't let that be a discouragement to you in any way, right? Third thing Paul does in sharing the good news with people. Number three. He keeps the focus on Jesus. Paul says in verse 3, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. 
Paul uses uh, the word of God to explain, improve, as verse 3 says. Number one, who Jesus is, the Christ or the one God sent to save us. And obviously there's a lot of, you know, attributes we know about Jesus. But overall, that's that's what he's explaining. Number one, who Jesus is. And then number two, what Jesus did in order to accomplish that um, to, or to save us. He died and rose again. That's the gospel or the good news in the simplest terms. And how you explain that to somebody, there's no right or wrong way. Those are the basics, okay? What you've learned, what saved you, what you've learned from God's word, you're just sharing it to somebody in a way that they can understand it. And in some way or another, all scripture is tied to this good news about Jesus. So when we're sharing it with other people, Jesus should always be the center of everything we're talking about, right? Because our faith is not based on a set of religious principles. It's not based on some super smart philosophy. It's not based on, you know, like anything other than being based in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, right? Jesus himself tells us in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to God. He is the truth, the living word of God. All God's word is exemplified in Jesus Christ. And he is the life. He is the way to have life through faith in him with God. Amen? But everything we're saying should be rooted in about Jesus in some way. And the result of Paul doing those three things is that some of the Jews got saved. A great many of the God-fearing Gentiles or Greeks got saved. And many of the prominent women there got saved. Basically, they all believed in Jesus Christ. And it wasn't his excellence of speech. It wasn't his charisma. It wasn't his great education, even though he had one. But rather his simple explanation of their need for Jesus using the word of God that the Lord used to save not a few but many, as verse 4 says. Amen? That's simple, right? Super simple. You don't sound like you guys are convinced. All right. So here's the thing. We're going to spend the remaining time we have here, short time, and we are going to practice these principles on the people sitting next to us. Bet you didn't see that coming. But here's the thing. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's a kid, you brought whether it's a friend whether it's somebody you don't completely know at all okay which is totally all right because here's the thing maybe god in his sovereignty brought somebody here today that has not received jesus as their lord and savior so i'd encourage you to take it seriously because maybe today is the day of salvation for them and the lord picked you specifically to be the one to simply explain the gospel to them so they can receive jesus as the lord and savior and you can lead them in a prayer in that all right But here's what we're going to do. We are going to use these three principles. You're going to use the word of God. Again, you don't necessarily have to open your Bible. It's what you know from the word of God. You're going to use the word of God. You're going to keep it simple. No such thing as too simple. Five minutes or less for the time we have, all right? You can say everything you need to say in that amount of time, all right? You're going to keep it simple. And then you're going to, um, uh, uh, one little tidbit in that and keeping it simple Cover what I call the three W's, all right? The who Jesus is, the what he did, and the why he did it, all right? In some way or another, 
Who Jesus is, Son of God, what he did. He died and rose again. Why did he do it? So we could be forgiven of our sins. Those three things are helpful to me. I just want to cover these basics, all right? Simply. Third thing, keep your message focused on Jesus, okay? That's it, right there. And my job as a pastor, according to Ephesians, according to as a teacher, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry, right? This right here is one of the greatest tools I could equip you with, these simple principles, because your main mission you've been given by Jesus is to do this every day and all day as the Lord gives you opportunities, all right? And what I find is it's these very things I've pointed out that we make it more difficult. We intimidate ourselves when really you're saved. You're a child of God. Just simply share why with other people, all right? So we'll take about 10 minutes and we're going to turn the lights off. So, I mean, maybe that makes it easier for you. But, you know, and I encourage you, if you're a spouse and you're that comfortable, make it really difficult on your other spouse. But for the people that don't know each other, just work with it. And if you're not saved, tell the people so that they can truthfully share you the truth as why they're saved. And and if you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, man, this is an opportunity for you. All right. So let's go ahead and spend the last 10 minutes. Take turns. We'll have the worship team come up here in a little bit, and then we'll we'll keep going. All right. So did uh, anyone get resaved today? <laughs> Amen. There we go. Now, did you guys find that helpful? I mean, that was the goal of it. It wasn't to put you in a situation where you're like super uncomfortable. But what I find is that. If you are uncomfortable, it's because, like I said at the beginning, we, we haven't thought about these things. You know, it's it's helpful. Like, oh, here's three simple things that I want to focus on in talking to somebody. I want to focus on Jesus. I want to keep it simple. I, you know, I, I, I want to use the word of God. And then practicing it and realizing that, oh, I can really do this. And like, you know, like, you know, however I feel led to do it, but I can cover these things. And, and then from there, it's just trusting in God, right? It's just like trusting God to do the work. And so my, my hope is that you go from here understanding it really is that simple. And then, like, I was just talking to my wife because, you know, I'm like, okay, we're going to role play here. You're going to be this, you're going to be the, in a good way. Just, yeah. anyways, um, you're, you're going to be, you know, somebody that's uh, a friend and acquaintance and, and you're hurting or you're dealing with something hard. And she was like, she's like, I'm like, oh, how are you doing? She's like, all right. And I'm like, no, you're not pl- role playing very well. All right. How are you doing? She's like, not very good. I'm like, what's the matter? Oh, my marriage is really hard. Like, I did not say to go there. But so I was just, you know, she was an unbeliever. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, marriage can be hard, you know. And, and I made this transition of like, but you know what helps me is that I have God's help. He's like the center of our marriage. And where I lack and where I don't understand my wife, I can go to him to help me, teach me these things. And, you know, like when I, I, I think she's being a reason why I can go and pray. And, um, you know, just it was that transition into using those three things. Do you feel like you have help from God? Do you, you know, like, oh, no, you don't. Well, that's because we're separated because of this. And so anyways, it, it just led to this conversation, implementing those three things. So my hope is that as we go about our lives, you know, we're watchful for these opportunities with coworkers and friends and our kids and our spouses, whoever it is that we know that do, does not know the Lord. 
And we're looking for those opportunities to kind of like see those things where we struggled with them before we had Jesus in our life because we know that he's the answer to them. And then we're able to offer them the help they need through believing in him. And then we trust the rest of God. Amen? It's that simple. It really is. It's a profound thing, salvation. But your part, God's given you, it's just simple. Don't try to make it or let the enemy fool you into thinking it's anything else. Amen? All right. Well, let's worship the Lord for our salvation. And we'll have our prayer team around the room. Maybe you're somebody, like I said, that that was for you and that you showed up here today and you cannot honestly say that you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I would encourage you, don't go out that door. As I said, you've heard the gospel today. It demands a response. You you either are going to choose to acknowledge that I'm not perfect. I, I do have sin in my life. I'm separated from God. And I need Jesus' sacrifice so that I can be forgiven and made right. I need God in my life. I need him to help me. I don't want to keep just trying to figure things out on my own and, and go through things. And you can receive that free gift today and we can lead you in a prayer. It doesn't have to be with somebody else. You can just talk to God directly. But sometimes it helps. I, last week, I got the privilege of leading a, a, a brother that wanted to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior in a prayer. And somebody got saved last week. So praise the Lord for that. But man, yeah, amen. He's part of the family for eternity. But come up and get prayer. We'd love to lead you. We'd love to rejoice with you because it is the greatest thing in the world when somebody is added to the family of God because we're going to spend forever with you. And we know that all the good things that are coming like because you've made that choice. And so we'd love to be a part of that. So come up and get prayer. If you can need prayer for anything else, just come up and we'll, we want to bear those burdens with you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much. We thank you for saving us. It was it was somebody that did the same thing that we just practiced today with each of us. And because of that, we're yours forever. And our lives were changed like in that moment in the greatest way possible. All of a sudden, we weren't alone. I mean, even if we were physically alone, we never would have to worry about being alone again. You came into our lives and you promised never to leave us or forsake us. We never had to feel alone. We, we, we never needed to question our identity again. We knew who we are. We knew who we are in you. Even though we struggle with that, it's a lie from the enemy. You told us you're my child. I love you. And I'm so happy and proud of you. We, we never have to struggle with that again. I, that was a big thing for me. We never had to feel like we had nowhere to go for, for, um, questions that we needed answered and lacked the the answers we have you you say in your word in james if we lack wisdom we can go to our generous god who will give it without rebuke you'll lead us we always have somewhere to go if we don't know what to do you you gave us a a real hope you didn't just we don't have to just wish good things are going to happen you told us that i am working all things for the good of those that love me and are called according to my purpose and if i'm for you who can be against you and you've proven how for us you are and how much you love us in being willing to sacrifice your son for us so we never have to doubt we're loved we never have to doubt that even if we don't see it you're working everything for our good and we know where we're going you gave us the greatest confidence against the worst thing that can happen to us in this world that being death Because death is now an upgrade. When we leave these broken bodies, we go to be with you for eternity. 
where there's no more sickness and there's no more pain and there's no more sorrow. So instead of fearing death, now we look forward to it, not in some morbid way. We want to be faithful while we're here, but we know that there's nothing to fear there. Things only get better. This is the worst it's ever going to be on this earth. And Lord, we want to give everyone else the same great hope that we have in all these things. And you've given us the privilege to do that. And really just given us no responsibility other than just telling people this greatest news. And whether they receive it or not, we know that it's great news for them. And we, we absolutely want to be faithful to do that, Lord. So help us do that in the power of your spirit. You don't even expect us to do it by ourselves. And may you just, may we just praise you in this last song for this great gift you've given us and you've given us the privilege to give to others. In Jesus' name, amen.